Amen. Okay, so today uh, we're diving straight in. Um, we're on parts or in parts 23 of the book of wisdom, Proverbs, like we call it the book of wisdom. We are in part 23 already, just a few more chapters and we are done. And by God's grace, we will be, I mean, full of wisdom in the name of Jesus. Amen. And people will be able to interact with us and draw from that wisdom. So to open up the session this evening, even before we begin to read um, the study, uh, read the text, the question there is, what is one thing about God that beats imagination and you wish you had an answer to? One thing about God that beats imagination. Okay, there's a hand over there. Let's, anyone else who can just take them all together. One thing about God. Of course, there are many things about God, but for you, what's one thing about God that beats imagination and you wish you had an answer to now not when you see when you see jesus in heaven praise god okay um why do people um, i mean how does it make him feel when people sin how does it what make god feel when people sin how does it make god feel when people sin that's one thing that she imagines anyone else Come on, I'm sure there are a lot of things that you think about. Okay, is that a hand? Okay, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I guess one thing that beats my imagination, or beats imagination rather, and um, I wish I had an answer to is how God came to be. How God what? How God came to be, like existence. I came to be. Exactly. Who created God? Exactly. Yeah. God who created you. <laughs> that one, I think you must wait to see before you ask him that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, anyone else? One thing that, I'm sure there are a lot of things. I mean, it's, it's to whet your appetite for what we're about to study this evening. I'm sure there are a whole lot of things. One thing, anyone from the choir and takers? One thing. How did God create my husband? <laughs> okay, thank you. Let's take that one and we'll move on. Good evening. Hello, Motsumaira. Um, I want to know what he looks like. You want to know what God looks like. I wish I can just gaze on your beauty. Hallelujah. Thank you. And so on and so forth. You know, um, as we look into, for me, I, I kind of wonder, like, how does a sperm just become a whole human being? You know, how they say the, the virgin birth. What if a sperm becomes a human being? What was, what was Mary carrying? You know, questions like that. Sometimes I wonder, okay, where does the wind come from? Where does it go to? Where does the wind come from? Where does it go to? Why is... I leave the rest. <laughs> Praise God. I was going to ask a question. God, why is something about Nigeria? But we wait until... I wait until I see him before I ask him that question. Okay, so tonight we're going to be reading... Um, Proverbs 25 from verse 1 to 28. So follow us as we read. These are more Proverbs of Solomon collected by the advisors of King Ezekiah of Judah. It is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's 
privilege to discover them. No one can comprehend the height of heaven, the depth of the earth, or all that goes on in the king's mind. Sometimes you wonder, what's this leader teaching? What's he thinking? You know, I remember when I just joined church, I used to wonder, ah, when pastor would say certain things, I was like, how did this man, how, where does this stream come from? Remove the impurities from silver and the sterling will be ready for the silversmith. Remove the wicked from the king's court and his reign will be made secure by justice. Don't demand an audience with the king or push for a place among the greats. It's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace just because you have seen something. Don't be in a hurry to go to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor deals you a shameful defeat? When arguing with your neighbor, don't betray another person's secrets. Others may accuse you of gossip and you will never regain your good reputation. Timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold hearing or other gold jewelry. Trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in summer. They revive the spirits of their employer. A person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. Telling lies about others is as shameful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar in a wound. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. Say amen. As surely as a north, as north, as a north wind brings rain, so gossiping thong causes anger. It is better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Good news from far away is like cold water to the thirsty. If the godly giving to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or mudding a spring. It's not good to eat too much honey and it's not good to seek honors for yourself. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. I mean, Lord bless the reading and the understanding of these words in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to take a disclaimer. I'm not going to treat verse 25 because we've talked about the wife that makes the husband go and live in the attic over and over again. So I think we have done justice to that enough. You know, basically, nobody wants to be with a quarrelsome spouse or be with a quarrelsome partner or be with a quarrelsome friend, basically. 
nobody wants wants that and may we not be the quarrelsome people in the name of jesus amen okay so tonight we're going to be um looking at i mean like we've been doing i mean i learned from from um leadership we've been categorizing um the different aspects of the proverbs so we for this one we categorize them into um communication skills if i was to summarize the entire chapter i, I would say i was summarizing it in one sentence saying it is honing or sharpening your skills so you can write that down if i was going to summarize the chapter i would say this chapter is about honing that is sharpening making your skills more effective making your skills more effective so what skills are we going to look at what skills do we want to improve we want to improve on our communication skills we want to improve on our relation skills do we all have the outline if you don't just signal by signify by raising your hand and i'm not sure i'll put one in your hand we want to we want to sharpen our work ethics we want to sharpen our leadership skills we want to sharpen our life skills we want to sharpen our life skills and and to begin we will see the value of words and how best to apply them, how to use word effectively. The, the chapter is filled with different aspects of what words can do. So we took five kinds of words we'll see in this chapter. Five kinds of words. The first word, the first kind of word we interact with is the well-timed words. Well-timed words. And that is verse 11. I took that from verse 11 from the scripture. And of course, other um, verses. It says, a timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. Well-timed words. And these are words that are used appropriately at the right time. These words, they edify. They are not forced. They are just appropriate for the time. And that is why they are called priceless. Because description there, like golden apples in a silver basket. That's the priceless description. It's not an apple that you eat. It's, it's, that's, that's obviously an art. That's obviously an art. The next kind of words we will see are admonishing words. Admonishing words. We will sing for the glory of goodness. Admonishing words. And these are words I like to call AK or alias constructive criticism. This is constructive criticism. They are reproving words. They are words that criticize gently. They are usually given by someone wiser to someone with a receptive heart. So it goes from a wiser person to a receptive receptive recipient. Those are admonishing words. The next set of words that we will see, and that's from verse 12 and a couple of other verses. It says, to the one who listens, valid criticism is like gold hearing. Again, you see an art described there. Gold hearing, beauty, value, value. And it's given, and, and you receive it by valid criticism. So criticism itself is not bad. The third set of words we're looking at, or we will see scattered around, is invo- invigorating words. These are refreshing words. They revive and they bring hope to the era. When people hear this kind of words, they, they, they come alive, so to speak. So the question is, when people hear your kind of words, when they finish a conversation with you, how do they feel? How do they feel? The question you want to ask, question ask myself, after this conversation, 
how would I have left that person? How do we leave the people we communicate with? Because this is basically all under communication skills. How do we leave the people? The next set of words, and that is taken from um, verse 13 and 25. Trustworthy messengers. So you send someone an errand, you know, and he delivers the word and the people that get the delivery are, are, are alive. They're excited about it. And it says good news from fire waste like cold water to the thirsty. Imagine hot sun, not the one, it's raining now. Imagine Amatan in Nigeria when it's at its peak and someone gives you a cool glass of water. How you feel? There are words that make people feel that way. Do you have those words? And the next um, set of words we will look at or we'll see um, around the chapter is futile words. Futile words. That's taken from verse 14 futile words. Verse 14, it says the person who promises a gift but doesn't give it is like clouds and wind that bring no rain. Nigerians will call it promise and fail. Say the guy now promise and fail. So this is like talk tough with no action. It continues to promise. They, they over promise but under deliver. So this, these words, you can call them empty words. They raise your hope for the moment but they, they disappoint you. Because in the end, they do not produce the results, the desired results. And finally, the words we'll see uh, are tender words. Tender words taken from um, verse 15 of this chapter, verse 15, tender words. And it says, patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones. Soft speech can break bones. That's amazing. So these are words that are gentle. These are kind words, kind words. They break barriers. Even if someone puts up a wall, because of, the, because of the way the delivery of the words, barriers are broken. And not just the delivery. Remember, it says patience. It's backed up by patience. It's backed up by patience. And we'll see at some point how we, uh, we use these words to our benefit. And people who have developed that skill of using tender words have developed it by patience over time. True patience over time. Hallelujah. So we'll move on to communication skills proper. The first set of skills we're dealing with now, communication skills, verse 11 and 12 of the scripture says, timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket to one who listens. To one who what? Listens. Valid criticism is like gold hearing or other gold jewelry. Other gold jewelry. The first thing, if you're writing, you're filling the outline, I want you to write that never underestimate the value and beauty of words used skillfully. Never underestimate the value and beauty of words used skillfully. This scripture is describing an art that we must all cultivate. We need to cultivate it at work. We need to cultivate it in parenting. We need to cultivate it in relationships. We need to cultivate it as long as we do life with people. The delivery of your words. It is using the words not just the right words, but using the right words at the right moment too. It's one thing to use the right words. It's another thing to use the right words at the right moment. So on, on, on the flip side, it says that learning the, 
Can you put up that scripture again, please? It says, to the one who listens, valid criticism is like gold earring or any other kind of jury. So, it is one thing for someone to listen. It's one thing for someone to speak words that, uh, that go forth with, with right, I mean, right ingredients. Speaking the word at the right place, right time, right moment. It's another thing also to listen. Listening is also an art. Listening is also a thing of value. And it, it says there that it, it's like an earring or any other goju. So that is, it is precious. It is a precious thing for someone to be able to listen. It's a precious thing to have a listening ear, to be calm enough to listen to what someone else is trying to get across to us. So the question to us that, is that in, in our relationships, can someone say, you know what, if I need a listening ear, I need to go to Mr. He will listen to me. He will listen to me. Many problems will be solved just by listening. Not even by actions, like we'll see as we go along. Just by listening. And many problems um, will be solved. So there's a relationship between the gold and the listening. And that relationship is the... um, Precious. It's, it's called it the precious. Something that is precious. So it's precious to listen. Gold is of lasting value. So listening as well is of lasting value. So the ear of the listener, the obedient ear, will receive wisdom of lasting value. Someone who has a listening ear will receive wisdom of lasting value. Wisdom that will last you for, for a long time. Many times you hear pastors say, my grandmother said, my grandmother said. So obviously at that point of time in his life, even though he, he, he said he was a little rascally, but he was listening. And today he uses those words to teach other people. So the wisdom is received from an old man that's gone to heaven many years ago is of lasting value. Now guess what? Someone could have had a gold hearing at that point in time, and you can lose it. Someone can rob it for steal you. If they rob you, say, hey, bail up, like you say. You know, give me all your jewelry. They steal your wallet. But they can't steal the wisdom inside of you. Have you ever heard a robber say, you know what, so we went and we kidnapped the wisdom. Or we, kid- we, kid- we kidnapped the, the we, we, we stole the, you can't steal the wisdom. The wisdom is embedded in you. So it's, it's, it's of lasting value. So it says that the ears that receive wise criticism, those ears have received something of lasting value. But there's a part where filter comes in because not every kind of criticism is worth your while. Not every kind of criticism is worth your while. The voice translation says that the truly wise person, he calls the person the truly wise person. The truly wise person is the one that receives that, that lasting value. That is better than precious jewel. May you receive lasting value from the words of wisdom in Jesus' name. You know, and my own personal experience with wise people is that every time I leave the presence of someone that is wise by sounding an idea of that person, well, I mean, go and say, you know what, I have this idea, or I did thus, thus, thus. And then the person even criticizes me. I leave that place feeling like, you know what, when the test arises again, I, must, I will do better. I will do better. You know, you, you, you sort of leave those places fired up. Uh, how many of us can relate? You go to someone, you, you leave that place fi- totally fired up, knowing that, you know what, the devil got me the first time, 
but you won't get him again because that person was full of wisdom and it was, they were able to impact your life with, with, with wise criticism of lasting value. So if you are writing, it says, a wise rebuke that is properly received is of immense value. A, a, a wise rebuke, it's okay to receive criticism that is properly received if it's of immense value, it's of great value. It's, in fact, it's invaluable. Like I said, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot rob anybody of, that, of this kind of of this kind of rebuke. You can't rob anybody. Hallelujah. So next, we'll go to relational skills. We're going to be going through the set of verses, for verse 17, verse 18, 21, 22, 20, and 23. Let's take verse 17 first. It says, don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. How many of us have that friend? You know, that we love, you know, really care about the friend. The friend loves us, but they don't even know where to draw the line. They don't know when you have, you, you need your me time. Is it just me? Nobody, of course, we do. That friend that, you know, sometimes you just want to, even when you want to pray, <laughs> badging, you know, or maybe you are that friend. The Bible is saying to you that familiarity, over familiarity breeds contempt. After a while, when you press that bell, you say, oh, you don't come again. When they hear you're on, you know, for some, for some people, of course, not people here, we don't lie, right? We don't lie here, right? You say, go and tell them I am not at home. Then you begin to hear the children in the tribe. You say, daddy, sorry, I cannot say. I'm not. Where are my tribians here? We don't lie. I'm sorry. We don't say I'm not home. Yeah, we've taught them to say, if you tell any child here to say I'm not at home, yeah, we want to clap for them. They will not say they are not at home. They will say, daddy is busy. <laughs> you know, or mommy is busy. And the friend goes like, you know what? Ah, since when this man begin to tell me, say, he's busy. That means he knows that he has, um, he has over exceeded his welcome. Hallelujah. And verse 18 says that telling lies about others is as harmful as eating them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with um, an arrow. You know, the description there is very, very graphic. When I read it, I was like, oh, this is very graphic description. I mean, if you do that, those three combo, I call it like a deadly combo to anybody. I'm not sure the person will survive, right? Nobody can survive that kind of combo. But imagine that people actually do that to people on a daily basis. They bear false witness against people. You go around and you speak something that is ill against somebody. Something that you're slandering the person. You're backbiting them. The Bible says that you're killing them. You're killing the person. You're killing the person. And, you know, the, how does God feel about such people that go around, I mean, quote and unquote, killing people? Because that's a deadly combo right there. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 19 verse 9 that a false witness... Proverbs 19.9 should be on screen. A false witness will not go unpunished and a liar will be destroyed. This is God's response to backbiters. This is God's response to gossipers. We dealt with gossipers last few weeks. It's been a recurring theme. This is God's, God's response to slanderers. He says they will not go unpunished and they will be destroyed. Hmm. 
So when you contrast that with verse 21 and 22, when you contrast it with verse 21 and 22, it says, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. In doing so, you will be heaping up burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. You see, this is something that is not very easy to do. Truly. Because our, our, our instincts, our first response when people, imagine someone has been going around backbiting, slandering you and you know, you're not just going to be giving, coming up with niceties. No way. Unless you are Unless you are a gospel rights child. Yes? Amen. <laughs> no, I really mean that. With the, with, the, with the wise words we receive, the words that are being poured into us, we, we ought to be at a place where things bounce off us. Pastor has told us you, you need to have a, a thick skin and a soft heart. A thick skin and a soft heart. A thick skin and a soft heart. So, when you compare and contrast that scripture of the backbiter and the response we should we should give to them i i I copied a footnote from the um voice translation of verse 22 and it says acts of kindness acts of kindness it should actually be on screen i read it acts of kindness especially when we know they are undeserved awaken a slumbering conscience Acts of kindness when they are undeserved awakens a slumbering conscience. It stimulates sorrow and perhaps even effects a change. They are the best ways to turn an enemy into a friend. What is he saying there? That, the, that part when he says he heaps burning coals upon the head, it's not like God will just carry hot coal and be putting on the person's head. No. What it means is that because you are consistently kind when the person is doing evil to you and the person knows that you know that they are doing evil and you are being kind, their conscience begins to prick them. Now someone is saying, you know what, I lie not with some people. They are too, they are too, they are, they are wickedness on another level. The Bible is saying to us that when we do the acts of kindness to them consistently, regardless of what they do to us, that the burning coals will be upon their head, their conscience will prick them consistently. And guess what? God will reward you for it. That's the beautiful path. God is rewarding you, not because someone is persecuting you, but God is rewarding because God loves it when we do acts of kindness. There's no gift, there's no thing that you do that you do in the name of God that it does not reward. Because the Bible says he is a rewarder. Hallelujah. So the question is, how will I handle a false witness or someone that repays me evil for the good that I did? You know, we ought to resist the urge, the urge to want to fight our battles or continue to show them you know, that you know what we are upset with them the bible says we should actually be showing them acts of kindness it is not the way we are groomed but if you look at the one we follow jesus our master when he was being persecuted what did he say father forgive them for they know not what they do oh i love stephen he emulated jesus when he was being stoned, the Bible says he looks up, he sees Jesus, and he says the same thing. Forgive these guys, for they do not know what they are doing. And guess what? When you do things like that, of course, don't wait to be stoned. <laughs> the Bible says the Lord will bless you for it. The Lord will bless you for it. Now, as a matter of fact, do you know that your acts of kindness consistently or completely demoralizes the person? I'll share an, I'll share an example. So, very recent... I know someone that when I was much younger used to say very horrible things about me. Very, very horrible things about me. I was, saying, I was sharing it with my wife. 
to the point that they won't call us um, robbers, you know, like arm robbers. In Edo people call them OG. Say OG. That's OG. Everybody say OG. That's when they call you that, you know that you are a tick robber. <laughs> now, why? Because somewhat were rascally and my older brothers. And um, in one of the God of services, someone invited this person. You know, and the person didn't have, the person went home without having food to eat. And when I heard what I do, the food I was giving to me, I took two bowls, I went to the person, and I gave the person. And I saw the look. The person much older than me, saw the look on the person's face, and the person was like, and the person, you know what the person started doing? There was someone else there, the person began to boast about me, that, you know, I told you, these are my sons. <laughs> and I was saying to myself, once upon a time, this man says, I be Oji. May the God turn your testimony around in a way that the people that you use to consistently do you evil will sing your praises in Jesus' name. Amen. So that is a clear example of heating, heaping burning coals. So in case you're expecting hot coal up on the head, you probably won't get that. I don't know. God might just decide to do that. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says, God will reward it. God rewards us. Acts. So verse 20 says, Verse 20. Verse 20. It says, verse 20, please. Nope. I'll read it. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like a vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings song, songs to a heavy heart. You know, one of the most effective ways or effective keys to connecting with someone that is distressed is empathy. Empathy. Everybody say empathy. That's one of the most effective ways to connect with someone that is going through a tough time. In, I remember in a mentorship session that we had with Pastor, a, a group of us had with Pastor a long time ago, he was distinguishing between empathy and sympathy. And he was telling us, you know, even though I kind of felt I knew, but this illustration brought that alive because. I've been opportune or been in a place where I need to speak to people and I should show empathy. So I realized that I've been showing more of sympathy than, than empathy. And he says sympathy is when someone is going through something and you say to the person, hey, yeah, sorry. Sorry. You know? But empathy is when you actually put, enter the person's shoes and then be, be, be understand what they are going through. You kind of wear their their garments with them. As a matter of fact, there was a video we watched that the person was at the bottom like a basement. You come down from your own platform to the person's basement so that you can relate with the pain that they are going through or the, or the trial, that trial that they may be passing through in that season. You are identifying with their feelings and their emotions. So sometimes all it takes to be empathetic like I took from that meeting is just to be silent in that person's presence. Not necessarily providing a solution. So the scripture is telling us here that some people are quick to want to sing songs and tell you, ah, the Lord is your strength. And then maybe even sing a psalm or sing resurrection and the life. Jesus is your name. At the mention of your dead things shall come. That's not what the person wants to list here at that time. The person knows. The person might really even know. The person just wants someone to wear their shoes with them. And you know, in my own relationship, in my marriage, this is one part I have struggled with a lot because perhaps for many men, I'm very um, 
solution oriented. My brain kicks in. I'm objective. The moment someone is telling me about something, as you are speaking, I'm already calculating the solution in my head. So when my wife will come and tell me, um, thus, 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 I'm already preparing the next sermon to give to her. And she will always tell me that, look, I don't need a sermon. I don't need a preacher man. I don't need, I already know these things. I just need you to be with me in this corner. Wear my shoes. And then I was like, what's someone talking about? I will struggle, we'll fight over. But recently, I began to understand that in the times when she speaking, all I do is, hmm, 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 hmm. Yes, I'm giving you know, Just like I'm listening. So we get through those moments without any quarrel. And guess what? When she's done, I picked up some things that she's really good. I'm able to understand her pain. Then a few moments later, or maybe the next day, I can even have a conversation with her and say, you know what, that thing you were saying. And then she's receptive. But every time I try to give her an instant response, like, ah, ah, you know, Come on, rise up. I, you know, you're a daughter of the most high God. See, fight. You know, so <laughs> I've learned now. So I'm practicing with my wife and I'm using it. You know, every one of us here is a leader, even as you sit here. So as a leader, you would have the opportunity to impact people and be empathetic. And when that time comes, may you not be found wanting in Jesus' name. Okay, verse 23. Let's pick up the pace a little bit because we have grounds to cover. Verse 23 says, verse 23 says, as surely as the north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue. You know, I did a lot of research on that because it says brings rain. Now, the theologians have argued that the north wind in, in Israel doesn't bring rain. Doesn't dry, actually drives away rain, not brings rain. Because they compared it with the scripture in Job that says that, you know, when God was coming, the old season was bright. And it came with the north wind. It was bright and rosy. But so back and forth, some say, okay, you know what? Maybe Solomon, Solomon, because it was Ezekiel that copied this. Maybe Solomon um, got it from the Egyptians because they are the ones that have not wind that brings or drives away rain. You know, and there was another argument that says, you know what? Maybe it was the Philistines because in their own part from the northwest, the, so on and on and on. But basically, the KJV and the N. RSV put it this way. It says, as surely as north wind drives away the rain. So that's another variance now. Drives away the rain. This one says bring rain. Drives away the rain. Before it, a backbiting tongue brings angry look. So the bottom line there is that a backbiting tongue should actually stir up a response from a child of God. So I remember pastor asking a question a few weeks ago. How do you respond to gossipers, slanderers, backbiters? Some people say, I just listen. I just, you know, and so on and so forth. Now, this is taking it a notch further. There's a way we should respond. And the Bible says we should give them an angry stare. That's what the Bible says there. You see it in a, in a, in a, few, in a few seconds. If you turn our scriptures, uh, Psalm 101 verse 5. Psalm 101 verse 5 says, When, yes, when, when whoever slanders his neighbor secretly i will destroy whoever has a haughty look and a arrogant heart i will, will not endure i will not endure psalm 25 verse 23 when you compare that scripture with verse 23 i think i'm missing a scripture here OK, 
Okay, when you compare it with some Proverbs 25, 23, it says, In the north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Okay, now, an angry countenance, it means when a backbiting tongue comes, your countenance should be that of anger, not anger to the point of brawling. It means that as they are speaking, they should actually see the disgust in your face to the point that it will drive away. Because it says, you know what, they come like a rain. should drive away that act of gossip. It could also be, you could say, I don't want to hear. But they should see an angry countenance that shows that you actually detest the fact that they have come with slander against someone They've come with gossiping against someone. And the scripture we read says that their words are like axe on someone, a club on someone, a sword stabbing someone, and a javelin. When you think about that, the next time someone comes to you with their gossip or their slander or their backbiting, what you should do is to give them an angry stare or to wave them off and tell them, I don't want to hear. That's what the Bible says. It says angry countenance. We should have an angry countenance towards backbiters. Can I get an amen? So as a rule, what you cannot say before, behind someone, or what you cannot say before someone, never say behind the person. So that doesn't make you a backbiter. And you're saying, to, what if the thing I'm about to say about them is harmless? Don't say it. Say it in their presence. Start from there. Begin to learn from there. Praise them in their presence. Then so that in their back, you can praise them. Sir, can you see that car that she's just... I, mean, I like your car. Praise her. Not that you saw her with her car. You didn't see anything. Then when she had gone, say, wow, now she the buy car. Who give her money, sir? You know, and you start one conversation. So start by praising her. Start by praising her. Oh, God bless you. The God that did it for you will... We do it for me. The God that took people out of Ajah to Banana Island, you know? Stop. I'm not like, ha, ah, now leave them. Banana Island. Where is the money? Ha, ah. And they work for NNPCO. Maybe not, you know, there's many stories. Before you know it, a very, you know, complete, nice conspiracy theory will come out and the person that heard you will only hear that that person is a thief that they stole to buy their house in Banana Island. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so I'm moving up now to leadership skills. I think we're doing a little good for time. Okay, we're looking at verse, 20, verse 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7. I deliberately put this at the middle because even though this is where the scripture started from. Verse 2, 3, 5. I say it's God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. God, no one can comprehend the height of the heaven and depth of the earth or all that goes on on the king's mind. You see, another version says it is God's glory to conceal it and it is the king's honor to discover them. It is God's glory. The glory of God is that kabod, right? Like the Hebrews um, call it. It's interpreted as the weight of, of God. His splendor. His majesty. So what the scripture is saying to us is that it is God's majesty to make things, I won't say mysterious, but to make things beyond conventional wisdom. Beyond conventional wisdom. But guess what? The king in man, right, gives man the access to be able to discover even those deep things that are beyond conventional wisdom does that make sense okay so like i was saying like um you say to god that god asks a few questions god how, how is it that um 
Sperm creates a human being. And scientists have been coming up with different theories. And God just gives you a revelational wisdom. That's why you, you see sometimes some people teach. I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I'm not, when I hear pastor teach, I'd be like, this man is improving like fine wine each day. And I know that everything he's speaking is not just the things that he just looks at the Bible. Because in the Bible, you and I will look at it like this. We will sleep with it. As a matter of fact, for the last three days, I have not had any life. I've been sleeping with the Bible. I wake up, I look at it. I'm saying, talk to me, talk to me. But the man just looks at it and God just begins to whisper certain things to him. That you will read that verse of scripture ten times, you will not see it. Hallelujah. That is what it means when he says kings, they discover it. Not just kings. No, this, this leaders, people that actually lead, they have a higher power of knowledge. And if you think, look about, think about even the conventional world we live, secular world, the, the president of every nation has higher power of knowledge. True or false? You might sit here and speak that you don't think that, you know, has that knowledge. But I'm saying to you that the NSA daily debriefs that man about things that you do not know. True or false? He has a, a briefing. There are people, advisors around there are giving him. It's not the difference is, is le- the level, the ability to assimilate. But the amount of information that is coming, listen, you can Google all you like, you will not get it. Hallelujah. Okay, so I, I personally believe that when we dwell perpetually in light, it pleases God to bring that revelational knowledge. To some of these things that he says is God's own prerogative. It's for him to conceal it. And that is what I meant when I was talking about pastor. So, because he dwells perpetually. He says, hey, my son. Femi says, yes, sir. He gives him something. And then he comes. He gives to us. I would say, wow. Hallelujah. So, it's the glory of a king to search out those things. Because the scripture doesn't tell us in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. First Corinthians 2, God revealed these things by his spirit. By whose spirit? God's spirit. The spirit of God in man. He reveals those things. For the spirit searches out everything and shows us. He shows us God's, what? Deep secrets. The things that God hid for himself. When a man dwells in revelation, in, in revelational light, that's in, with deep in the place of light, God brings those things to the man. Hallelujah. And I like the way the J.B. Phillips transition puts it. It says, God has, through his spirit, let us share his secret. For nothing is hidden from the spirit, not even the deep wisdom of God. The deep wisdom of God is not hidden from his spirit. What are we saying? The things that the Bible says that God conceals is not hidden from God's spirit. And God's spirit is in man. And that man has the deep things of God that seems to have been hidden. Hallelujah. So when you dwell in that place, perpetually dwell in the place of light, then he will reveal those deep things to you. So we, we deduce from these scriptures that to lead effectively, we must be in sync at all times. Everybody say be in sync. Sync at all times with the Holy Spirit. And function. The end of that scripture, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 um, verse 26 says that we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So, yes, science is a beautiful thing. Science has made a lot of discovery, but science is inferior when it compares to God's infinite wisdom. Science is so inferior when it compares to God's infinite wisdom. Verse 3, it says, verse 3, please. 
verse 3. No one can comprehend the height of the heaven, the depth of the earth, all that goes on in the king's mind. Again, the king there means to reign. So it means someone in a place of leadership. Someone that rules over other people. So um, Jesus was teaching this principle to his disciples, saying to them that, you know, in um, Mark, Mark 4, that, you know what, I, I bring you guys in, my disciples, Mark 4, I bring you guys in. He said afterward, Jesus and, and his disciples and those close to him remained behind to ask Jesus about his parables. So because they were in a place where they were in proximity, they were able to ask him and he was able to disseminate information of what was hidden from other people. And that can also be seen in Luke 8, verse 9 and 10. Jesus reserved the secrets of those parables for the people that privately went to him. So what am I trying to say here? Sometimes when a leader casts a vision, it seems like this man, what's he saying? Nobody knows it, but you can actually access it. If you, if you build proximity to that leader, or you build proximity to the people that are around the leader, you can have access to it. You can go back and you ask questions and you'll be able to know the depths, the heights of the things that are in the heart of a king. Now, the only way to have it is only when you, when you have a listening heart. Jesus was saying to them, because they had a listening heart, because they had a desire to also come. Remember that priceless, that priceless value. To come to him to want to listen. Some people just say, okay, you know what? Why is this man always talking about we want to do this, we want to do that? Talking about big, big things. You say no small dreams, no small dreams. The fact is that if, if you don't understand the vision, doesn't mean that the man doesn't know what he's saying. God has given him a picture. It could also be in your organization. The, the management, God has given them a picture. They want to go somewhere and you are struggling with it. No, you should seek to understand. If you don't understand it, go and seek for understanding and then you'll be able to key into it. Hallelujah. Verse 26 says, The righteous man falls down. I'm reading the KJV version. I just skip straight to the KJV version. It says, The righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. How often do we see in our own community when righteous men fall down before the wicked? The Bible says it's like a poisonous spring of water. So yes, there's a spring of water that's meant to be flowing good, but it is poisonous. Why? Because the righteous man is falling down. So when the good do nothing, the evil seize the initiative. Have you heard a Christian say, I can't go into politics because um, uh, politics, politicians are corrupt. Uh, That's what he's talking about. You are falling down so that the evil one can rise up. Or you say, yes, someone say, I can't serve there because they do too much politics. Listen, we are meant to be light in situations. So rather than leave it to chance or allow the enemy hijack it, we are meant to actually rise up and not fall down. You know, so we, we shouldn't take that stance of leaving it to chance to the, to the people that you call the evil ones to take it. You should actually have a stick and a voice in it. You know, and I've, I saw something on social media a few weeks ago I found interesting. The parliament in Britain they call their prime minister, they grill, they grill and grill. Before you know, the prime minister is talking like a baby because they're asking questions, they're booing. You'll be wondering, prime minister. But in our own society, you hear members of parliament, they will go and they will go and do rank and day. So you're wondering, so when there's an issue to address, where do they start? For the same person that you're doing rank and day, so you cannot. You cannot. So there's something wrong with that equation and it, it has to change. 
It has to change. People need to, we need to take a stand. Take a stand for doing the right thing. Because when we don't do the right thing, the evil one seizes the initiative or seizes the advantage and does evil. Okay. So, if you are feeling verse 5, verse 5, it says, purge corruption from the kingdom. We're almost out of time. Purge corruption from the kingdom. If you're feeling purge corruption from the kingdom, I would recommend a collaborative study for those of us here for um, 1 Kings 1 and 2 so that you can explain better what I'm just about to breeze through. Purge corruption from the kingdom. So, verse 5 says, verse 5, verse 5 says, remove wicked officials from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. When you remove wicked officials from the king's presence, his throne will be established through righteousness. Another version of scripture says, remove wicked, the wicked from the king's court and his reign will be made secure by justice. I want us to look at this from two quick angles. The first, when the leader gets rid of the wicked people that are in his courts, that means the people that used to give wrong counsel that surround him and not allow him to make the right counsel, then his kingdom will be strengthened because the counsel he will begin to make will be far-reaching and people can benefit from it. That's one aspect. The second aspect is the fact that it says... Another version of another translation says, Remove them from the kingdom, purge. That's the the passion translation says, Purge them from the kingdom. That means there are people in the king's kingdom that needs to, to, they need to be eradicated for the king to have a firm grasp of the scripture of the kingdom. Which is why I said we should read first Kings 1 and 2, a classic example of what we're talking about. Now, in first from first Kings 1. First uh, Kings 1, chapter 1 and 2, we see Solomon in a process of um, David, in David's succession. He had chosen his son Solomon to become king. But before Solomon could be seated firmly to take a grasp of the kingdom, he had to do, eradicate some characters from the kingdom. He eradicated four kinds of characters we will run through real quickly. The first he eradicated was, so if you are writing, you need to write characters to eradicate. Characters to eradicate. The first one was the character with the Adonijah spirit. Those are the usurpers. As a leader, they are, they are people that are usurpers in, or usurpers, you call them all you, depends on British or American English. Usurpers, they are the ones that you, they, they are eyeing your position, that promotion that you are, are, are after, they are eyeing it. And they want it so badly that they will do anything, they will, they will stop at nothing to take it forcefully. They will take it at any cost. Those are the usurpers. They, they have the Adonijah spirits. The next people you want to look out for are them that are, that are called the Joab spirits. The second people that Solomon eradicated was Joab. The Joab spirits are people that are very ambitious to the point that they forget their place in our lives. Very ambitious. And they forget their point, their place in our life. If, if they may even have a history with us. They may have gone to war with us. They may have fought battles with us. They may have stood side by side with us. But when the chiefs are down, they don't mind siding with the usurpers to take away the, the parts, the position that the Lord has prepared for us. Now, because of their influence, because they know us in and out, and because they have built capacity with us, 
when the usurpers are looking for people to parley with to bring us down, they are the first people they will go to. The usurpers. The usurpers. Because they have all our, our secrets in their hand. The third, the third people we need to eradicate are the, the ones we, they call the Abiatha spirits. I came up with these things originally myself as I read that scripture. Abiatha spirits. The Abiatha spirit, Abiatha spirit is, the, is the spirit of disloyalty. Highly disloyal. These ones don't, don't really, they, they are not ambitious. They don't, they don't set out to be disloyal at first. No. They don't set out to be disloyal. But because they've served for so long and they, they, they don't have any ambition, their issue is the issue of the heart. We need to keep checking to know where their heart is. We need to keep checking where they, to know where their heart is because theirs is, they just want to follow anybody that is succeeding. So if someone comes tomorrow and wants to take our position and they look at it that, well, if this person takes my position, I will benefit. They will side with the person. Straight up. If this person becomes MD of the company tomorrow, he say, hey, yes, straight up. So if there's any secret you have, you give it to the person. Abiathar. Abiathar was David's priest, carried the hack the, the of, the, of the Lord for David for years. But when Adonijah wanted to take the throne, Abiathar followed Adonijah because he says, you know what? After all, David's about to die. Solomon might be a weak man. Let me just gently follow Adonijah. And Solomon dealt with him decisively. The last spirit is the Shemir spirit. This one's just have beef for us for no reason. Beef. They might even, might even because of something they felt they heard from someone. They just have beef for us for no reason. They are against us. So, have you heard someone say something like, I don't like that person. And you say, why? And they cannot tell you. Anybody ever that? So I don't, they, that's the, that's the shimmer spirit. For no reason. I don't, why don't you like him? I don't like him. Why? I don't like him. Why? That's the shimmer spirit. And we need to watch out for those people. And the beautiful thing about the shimmer spirit, I call it beauty, is that these ones, they are self-destruct. Because they, it is embedded in their system to not like this, not like that, you know, beef this one, beef that one, beef that one. You, you don't need to fight them. Like the Bible says, just continue doing your thing. One day they will self-destruct because they will go and not like somebody that is like them and that person will eventually take them out. Hallelujah. So in 1 Kings 2 verse 26, the Bible says after Solomon had dealt with these people in leadership, this kingdom was firmly in his grasp. So as a leader or an aspiring leader here, when you look out in your, around you and you see those people, Solomon was strategic take them out, and then your kingdom will be firmly in your grasp. Hallelujah. Okay, so let us run through and fill out the blanks, blanks because um, we're out of time. Um, you have to do some study yourself. There's a lot I thought we could run through real quickly. So if you're feeling verse 20, uh, verse 6 and 7, I wrote, self-promotion eventually leads to demotion. Self-promotion leads to so demotion. Do not seek to promote yourself, like we read in the scripture. Allow the king call you himself. I also wrote that let others blow your trumpet for you. Don't blow your trumpet yourself. Let others be the ones that blow your trumpet. 
again, classic example, Adonijah tried to blow his trumpet. He tried to promote himself and he had a sorry end. He ended, his story ended really, really, really badly. So the last set of um, skills that we're going to hone or sharpen tonight are the work ethics. Work ethics, verse um, 8 and 10. I'll just go straight to the filling the blank spaces and I'll use one minute to explain most of the scriptures or two minutes. I said, do not divulge. Just script the scriptures. Go to the, um, the points, the bullet points. Do not divulge more than necessary in an attempt to win an argument. Yes, do not divulge more than necessary in an attempt to win an argument. That's, we got that from 9 and 10. And from um, verse 13 and 14 and 15, we said... How will you be described by others professionally? How will you be described by others professionally? I'll explain this in short. Under that, you write, commitment takes you from a personal status to a confirmed status. Commitment takes you from a personal status to a confirmed status. And in life skills... Proverbs 25, verse 16. Um, we compared it to 1 Timothy 6, 17 that says God has given us everything for our enjoyment. The scripture was telling us that we should be um, not overindulge in honey. Not overindulge in honey. Not overindulge in honey. So yes, God wants us to enjoy all things. God wants us to enjoy all things. But God doesn't want us to overindulge in things, overindulging things. And the last um, part to fill, Proverbs 25, 27, says, always redirect praise. Always redirect praise back to God. Always redirect praise back to God. Why? Because self-praise is a show of pride. Self-praise is a show of pride. Hallelujah. Okay, so there's a lot we skipped uh, because of time. And I don't even know where we, we begin to, to take it from. You know, but I just want to take one. Let me take just one from, take one from work ethics and take one from life skill. So for the work ethics, um, basically... What we're trying to say is that the scripture was saying that we should not betray the confidence of people. And sometimes we find ourselves in arguments at the expense of people's privacy. So you're arguing, and because you're trying to win the argument, you begin to talk about things that someone told you in confidence. I remember pastor was teaching us in the um, gold and silver series and said that it's not about who you know or who knows you and who likes you, but who trusts you. Because there are certain people that when you betray their confidence, not only will you lose out your opportunities to get wealth from that relationship, guess what? Other people will know that this is how this person is. That's why we wrote that part of don't divulge more than is necessary. Don't, they, they, they don't see you as a trustworthy person. So, again, the question was, how can you be described professionally by your colleagues? If, if you were to do a poll, how is this person? How would they describe you? Would they describe you as one that's like the lazy foot or the broken foot or the broken tooth? 
or the one who promises over promising and never delivering how will you be described how will you be described and then let's when we go to the the life the life beat many times the scripture was saying to us that we should in verse 27 that it is not smart to stuff yourself with sweets nor is glory piled on glory for you yes we should work diligently yes we should be competent so that people can say ah, this man is good and they they give glory to god but when people bring commendations when they say well done what do we do we redirect praise back to god we shouldn't be like pastor said a long time ago patching for praise we shouldn't be patching for praise and looking to um let our heads swell because of praise yes you cannot stop people from giving you good compliments but your goal should not be about indulging in praise because all glory belongs to god and god alone and the final scripture there verse 28 says that a person without self-control is like a defenseless defenseless city with broken down walls so i was thinking to myself that at least the person should even have had walls some form of walls some form of walls that we even i mean help the person some form of protection so what does this mean someone that has no walls someone that is um like a, a a defenseless city it means that everybody can press your button no self-control anything can press your button you eat anything you you can sleep as long as you want if someone is looking for anybody to pick on they can just say one thing and you you trigger so we need to get to a point where as christians as followers believers in christ where we should be able to say no and yes in certain instances example joseph was able to say no to potiphar's wife self-control so that he could get to his palace daniel was able to say no to king nebuchadnezzar's food in order for him to become promoted that he lasted at least four different dynasties jesus was able to say yes to the shame to the pain to the spitting to the pulling of his beards so that you and i seated here can have eternal life hallelujah thank you for listening to this i want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends god bless you Because I'm a tassie and they were shot there.